Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan. We've heard from most of our speakers that disease has important contributions from inflammation and oxidative stress. How do we address these demons? They seem to be in all the diseases that plague us. Well, today we're going to speak with Dr. Tim Guilford, who has some of the answers. He's an expert on glutathione, which plays a key role in dealing with oxidative stress. So, Dr. Guilford... Uh, is both a clinician, physician, and a researcher. His education includes John Hopkins University for his undergraduate degree, the University of Texas Medical Branch for medical school, two years of general surgery at John Hopkins Hospital, and ENT surgery residency at the University of Michigan and board certification in ENT. That's ear, nose, and throat, by the way. He's been in clinical practice since 1979, using complementary medicine in his practice since 1985. He's the director of a clinical lab specializing in vitro allergy and viral immunology testing. That's from 1982 through 1992. His study of the role that glutathione plays in the basic metabolism of many diseases led to his formulating a liposomal encapsulation of reduced glutathione. This is called Redisorb. Uh, his recent publications include articles on the neuroprotective qualities of liposomal glutathione, the detection of mycotoxins in mold-exposed individuals, efficient glutathione in mycotoxin-related illness, a review of glutathione and atherosclerosis and immune responses in conditions with low glutathione. More about his publications can be found on his website, drguilford.com slash publications. Welcome, Dr. Guilford. Hello, Susan. Thank you very much for inviting me today. Well, we want to get your information out because glutathione is so important, yet it's so hard to get in the body. So that's where you've been a pioneer, so you can help get us get this into where it needs to go. So let's get started. How did you get interested in glutathione? Well, years ago, um, in my clinical practice, I was dealing some, with some people with uh, Parkinson's disease who had been given intravenous glutathione and it showed improvement in some of their symptoms. And it occurred to me that it would, be, it would benefit them to be able to take glutathione on a more regular basis than uh, taking an intravenous infusion on a, uh, one or two times a week, which is very inconvenient. So I was able to um, find um, a manufacturer who gave us an exclusive for the production of a liposome encapsulation of glutathione. And um, so we've been uh, dealing uh, with uh, providing this uh, material to physicians over the last uh, 14 years. And it's been a real uh, exciting experience, both from the research perspective, but also uh, from being able to uh, provide glutathione for a lot of conditions uh, through other physicians. Um, Glutathione is actually made in every cell in the body um, and as long as you're making an adequate amount, then things are going well. 
Uh, we're finding uh, situations where glutathione is not able to be produced as efficiently in many of these uh, situations are associated with um, health problems. And we can talk about that a little bit. Is that glutathione is not made as well? Is it age, disease? Uh, uh, a number of conditions uh, contribute to that. Uh, viruses, for example, can prevent the uh, what's called the expression, uh, the formation of some of the enzymes needed to make glutathione. This can occur in uh, something as severe as um, HIV, but is also associated with um, uh, common viruses uh, such as influenza. Uh, they have an increase uh, in oxidation stress associated with these infections. But and age does contribute to uh, depleting the formation of glutathione. So let's start off with what is glutathione? What does it do? Glutathione is a, a small molecule uh, in the body. It's called a peptide. Um, and that means, in this case, it's just three amino acids, glycine, glutamine, and cysteine. And cysteine is in the middle of this uh, combination has a prominent uh, sulfur group that uh, allows the donation of a hydrogen, which means it becomes an antioxidant because uh, when uh, things are oxidized, they are depleted of both an electron and that extra hydrogen. So glutathione can act as an antioxidant. It also plays a role, uh, many roles in the body, such as detoxification and supportive immune function, which we can talk about more in a, in a little while. And anyway, providing glutathione in what's called the reduced or active state, that's when it has these active, these um, molecular figures active, it can act as an antioxidant or it becomes oxidized after it does its job. Um, for example, if it donates, it can work with enzymes that prevent the oxidation of lipid membrane, uh, lipids which are found in our membranes. And when it does that function, it becomes oxidized. There's certain enzymes that can regenerate the active form um, of glutathione. And uh, so this goes on in a, in a regular basis in our body many, many times a day. So let me see if I understand this. That uh, Oxidative stress has been listed as a very important contribution to disease. And you're saying that you know when you oxidize lipid membranes and you oxidize various things in the body... This can cause a lot of damage. It's like when iron rusts, that's oxidation. So uh, glutathione uh, is kind of the mother of antioxidants that will defray the, the damage caused by all these things that want to oxidize and uh, make our body sick. So uh, what is an antioxidant and why is this important? Well, you described it well in describing the um, rusting of iron. And an antioxidant would actually reverse that. Um, if, if, for example, you take a copper penny and it becomes oxidized and is dull, if you can put uh, an antioxidant on that uh, penny, it will become shiny again. And that's in the mechanical uh, world. Inside our body, this translates to regenerating the function of uh, enzymes and the prevention of um, damage um, or rusting, if you will, to membranes um, and other uh, functioning uh, enzymes and organelles in the body. Uh, and these antioxidants can ruin the enzymes which are essential, essential for making our body run, and it can ruin membranes and many other things. These 
Um, so these free radicals can ruin all these things, and that and that um, glutathione can help stop that. Yes, exactly. The glutathione will will work directly and in combination with enzymes to sop up those free radicals and so prevent the damage. Radical, and where do they come from? Free radicals. Free, radic- free radicals come from actually the, the very metabolism that our body uses, uh, especially in the mitochondria. Um, there's some uh, complicated um, reactions in the mitochondria that move electrons through different stops. And as it does that, it produces the uh, energy packet called ATP, adenosine triphosphate. And this energy packet, while it's being formed, uh, we use this energy in every cell in the body, and while it's being formed, the electrons may um, stick onto oxygen at inappropriate uh, places in this production line, and this is what causes free radicals. Uh, free radical of oxygen, for example, um, is missing an electron. So it goes around looking for an electron. It doesn't care who it raids and pillages. It just takes one, disrupting our enzymes and membranes and also to many other important functions. That's a really apt description. Yes, a very good description. Okay. Do free radicals come from anywhere else like uh, exposure to electromagnetic fields, toxins, bad inflammatory diet, I mean, bad gut? I mean, isn't the moment you have inflammation... uh, trigger off a whole set of these nasty little uh, active oxygen species, these free radicals? That's correct. And, and um, it, it's part, of, part of that is coming from the normal defensive action in the cell. Uh, but when that gets out of hand, it can cause damage outside of the area that, um, for example, of, uh, it's used to uh, negate the function of viruses and bacteria. But um, it could, if it gets out of hand, it can damage normal tissues. And that's where you need uh, glutathione. There, there are other antioxidants, vitamin C, and vitamin E, and that sort of thing. But it turns out that glutathione works with some of the key um, enzymes that are needed to maintain the stability of membranes, for example. That's called glutathione peroxidase. And so there's a lot of peroxide uh, formed with these excess um, uh, free radicals. Uh, free radical uh, can become the H2O2 of peroxide, uh, where glutathione can come in directly or with the help of the glutathione peroxidase and uh, turn that into harmless water. So that's the importance of glutathione as an antioxidant. And it is the major antioxidant both in the cell and in the mitochondria where um, all our energy is being produced. So it plays a very important role. Now, doesn't it help recycle some of the other antioxidants so we have more of those, like vitamin A, vitamin C and vitamin E? Doesn't it help recycle those? Uh, glutathione does uh, play that role, um, although those, uh, some of those uh, uh, materials are not as easily recycled because they're large molecules that don't necessarily revert back into the active form once they become oxidized. Um, and that's one of the advantages with glutathione. It has this ability to become regenerated uh, after exposure to things like uh, um, vitamin C. Um, or uh, more commonly, there's an enzyme called glutathione reductase that gets uh, increased when there's a lot of oxidative uh, damage going on or chronic uh, uh, problems. Chemicals and pesticides will also contribute to some of these uh, free radical formation. Uh, so we, we have... Um, 
as well as the accumulation of metals, uh, especially toxic metals like uh, lead and mercury. Um, mercury, for example, is actually removed from the cell directly by combining with glutathione. And there are some enzymes that help um, introduce glutathione to toxins. This is called uh, glutathione S-transferase. And the glutathione S-transferase acts like a matchmaker at a dance where if rather than having to dance with everyone, you could ask the matchmaker which would be a, a better partner for you um, and be introduced directly to that partner. Glutathione is introduced by glutathione S-transferase to many different toxins, and there are different transferases for different toxins. And some segments of the population are deficient in these transferases, and so they are a little bit more at risk for accumulating some of these toxins. And then as aging comes along or um, an illness, then you have um, an accumulation of things that begin to weigh on the body's ability to defend itself. Wow, I want to dance with glutathione because you just said it helps get rid of heavy metals, which are causing all sorts of diseases. Dale Bredesen commented that heavy metals and toxins actually is one of the forms leading to Alzheimer's and cognitive decline. So heavy metals is huge. So glutathione will dance with these and help get them out of our body as well as other toxins. That's uh, That's correct. And you mentioned Dr. Bredesen's article uh, in his writing about um, uh, Alzheimer's disease. And he, you're absolutely right. He mentions uh, um, mercury as well as mold, toxins from mold, which can contribute to the deterioration that we know as diseases like Alzheimer's disease. What I don't understand is dentists are putting mercury in our teeth, and some of Dr. Kennedy's work shows that when you brush your teeth or pick at them, the mercury vapors go right into the brain. I mean, I don't, and they put fluoride in our mouth, which is another toxin. I mean, gosh, we need glutathione more than we need mercury in our teeth. Uh, that's a good. That's a good example. Um, I don't have research on that uh, type of information, but I think your statement uh, uh, is. Uh, is very important. Um, there's a there's a wide range of uh, disease conditions associated with um, uh, low glutathione. And what uh, are? They? Well, they include they include cancer. Uh, it's ironic they've done studies that show that certain forms of cancer, uh, even early in the disease, is associated with a systemic depletion of glutathione. That is in their in the blood. There's a decrease in the reduced form active form of glutathione. It's associated with aging. Uh, diseases of the lung, uh, such as cystic fibrosis uh, and asthma, uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, and there are a range of immune and metabolic diseases, such as uh, type 2 diabetes has uh, been shown to be def- have lost the expression of these enzymes needed to form glutathione. And then you just mentioned the neurodegenerative problems like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. So there's a wide range of problems. This this um, it's one of the reasons I focused on uh, this material is that uh, it's needed by every cell and it'll, it, it literally takes you on a tour of medicine as you begin to investigate the different applications of glutathione in different disease conditions. So low glutathione not only leads to inflammation, one of the culprits, but it, help, it prevents our uh, macrophages and our immune defenses from working. Uh, we can lose our mitochondria, which are the uh, energy powerhouses you mentioned that make our energy ATP and it can make methyl and you can't make um, vitamin B12 properly so and that sounds huge 
That's uh, that last uh, uh, fact is little known, but you actually need glutathione to stabilize um, what's called uh, cobalamin. That's the active. That's the form of B12. You need to have um, cobalamin stabilized uh, by glutathione in the production of uh, active uh, B12. And there you can't make testosterone as well. At least that's what they showed in goats. <laughs> that's true. Whether you're a young goat or an old goat, if you don't have adequate glutathione, you can't make testosterone adequately. It's well, uh, fascinating. With, I don't want to dance with the folks that have low testosterone. <laughs> it might not be as uh, as active. Yeah, we were talking about the methylation of cobalamin and, and uh so uh, glutathione stabilizes the cobalamin while that methyl group, a methyl group is just a carbon, and while that's added to um, the molecule of cobalamin to form the active form known as methylcobalamin, um, methyl B12, um, it's little known that you need glutathione for that function. And that's an example of some of the many uh, enzymes that uh, uh, function a lot better when glutathione is available. Otherwise, they become oxidized and can't function as well. So let me recap this. There's a huge number of conditions that can happen with low glutathione, including asthma, autoimmune diseases such as arthritis, autoimmune thyroid disease, ALS, AIDS, Alzheimer's, alcoholic liver disease, cataracts, uh, etc. So, I mean... This sounds like it's got a part in just about any disease we can come up with. Uh, it, it appears to, uh, as you say, a lot of oxidation is associated with these conditions, and glutathione gets knocked down uh, by that. And if the body normally, the body will respond and, and make um, more of the enzymes to make more of the glutathione, but in many conditions, that's not adequate. And there's a relatively inexpensive way of monitoring this. It's becoming clear that um, increased oxidation stress and loss of antioxidant function will cause cells to put on the outside of the cells uh, gamma glutamyl transpeptidase. That's an enzyme. Its abbreviation is GGT. That's an enzyme that, that actually breaks down glutathione in the blood. Um, this is an interesting uh, component and in, in part of the problem with glutathione function is that when a cell needs glutathione, it can't. The, most cells can't import it directly. They have to break it down into the uh, constituent amino acid uh, components and then bring it inside the cell and then uh, reproduce uh, glutathione inside the cell. So the cell will first display an excess of GGT, and this may show up in the plasma. And so it's a relatively inexpensive test on the chemistry panel um, that can be an indicator of the body need for glutathione. Yeah, GGT is very common on the chemical panel. Usually, I think it's associated, it can be a measure of your toxic load or low glutathione stores. So, Right. In the past, it's been associated with uh, liver disease or excess uh, intake of alcohol, but more um, recent articles are showing it's a general marker for oxidation stress or oxidation stress in general. Right. And then w once these amino acids are brought inside the cell... Uh, things get a little complicated because you have to put the glutathione back together. And uh, there's an initial enzyme called glutamine cysteine ligase, GCL, that um, is needed to put the first two amino acids together and then another 
the enzyme puts the third amino acid on there, and that makes the reduced glutathione. And we have evidence that a number of conditions are missing the catalytic unit and modifier unit of this GCL enzyme, for example. So they're not able to make um, even the first uh, steps in the making of glutathione. And this occurs in a, a number of disease conditions, including uh, type 2 diabetes. It's been demonstrated. It occurs in HIV. Um, it's been shown that in autoimmune disease, the uh, first enzyme, GCL, is not formed well. So, um, and, and last but not least, a research group I work with in Southern California uh, has shown that brain tissue in people with Alzheimer's disease is missing this GCLC, the catalytic component of making this enzyme. The why that's happening and, and what to do about it um, are, are research topics at this point, but it's really fascinating to see that um, these neurodegenerative condition, conditions ranging from autism to Alzheimer's are missing some of these uh, uh, modifier, these subunits of this enzyme um, that uh, the modifier unit is missing in autism. So they may make uh, a little bit lower uh, glutathione to begin with. So the implications of all this have still have not been explored, but it's really fascinating to see. And uh, many physicians are using glutathione in support of these conditions. Now, once your glutathione is low, the, the problem is, I think, what happens is you start to accumulate all these toxins that we mentioned earlier. You can accumulate mercury, you can accumulate toxins from mold called mycotoxins. And um, these, um, as well as a general inflammation or specific infections. And uh, so your time may be taken up trying to fight these problems without realizing that, you're miss that the basic problem occurred from an inadequate amount of glutathione. Well, it's kind of, I mean... Look, it's it's kind of hard which came first, the chicken or the egg, because apparently mercury, metals, persistent organic pollutants, microtoxins will lower glutathione. That's that's absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. It, it's a your two-edged sword or chicken and egg problem. Um, mycotoxin is a good example of that. Mycotoxin will actually deplete glutathione directly because glutathione will bind the toxin to try and remove it. At the same time, some of these mycotoxins have been shown to prevent the formation of glutathione. And I reviewed that in an article um, published a couple of years ago um, that shows that uh, this, this kind of cyclical uh, problem. And it may explain why some conditions people develop uh, illness and then have a hard time pulling out of it. For example, after an influenza, most people get better fairly promptly, but some people go on to be sick for longer periods of time. And at the basis of all that, you may have a depletion and continued lack of production of glutathione. Um, that's not the only cause of continued cause of, of illness, but it certainly would be a major contributing factor if it's occurring. Well, it doesn't with cinnamon or Tylenol, I think in Europe it's paracetamol, some, something like that. Doesn't that deplete glutathione? It's a double whammy if you take it before alcohol? There's research studies that show that, and you're absolutely right, that that should be avoided uh, um, taking the, the, um, those materials before or immediately after alcohol because the alcohol puts a, uh, a little bit of, well, it puts definite stress on that same uh, glutathione system. Um, there's a researcher at a major university that's using the um, progeny of uh, animals given um, 
nicotine, for example, which depletes glutathione also. Um, and these uh, the, the, the infant animals are then uh, depleted of glutathione, which is good and bad, um, but it shows you the dangers of using uh, tobacco or alcohol uh, uh, during pregnancy, for example. One of the problems that can occur. Is in the emergency room if you've got uh, if you're got impending liver damage from taking too much Tylenol. I think it's NAC, N-acetylcholine that they give, which is also kind of what you use as one of the possible precursors to make glutathione. Yes, and acetylcysteine. Yeah, that's one of the three amino acids we mentioned in the formation of glutathione, and. Um, so, uh, providing an ex- it's been thought that providing an excess of cysteine is the rate-limiting factor in, in production of glutathione. Um, there's certain situations where there may be other factors, as I mentioned, on these other enzymes. Um, but uh, at the current state of the art is to give um, um, NAC. I think they have an intravenous form that they can give for these uh, problems, and it generally uh, helps uh, lessen the damage. Uh, from that material. Now, I also understand that low magnesium, low niacin, low vitamin B2, zinc can also uh, lead to low glutathione storage. Is that correct? It's interesting. Uh, almost all the vitamins uh, have or play a role at some point in the production of glutathione. I have on my uh, website a number of uh, slide sets from previous uh, presentations that I've given. And they show these enzymes that are needed to produce glutathione. And in one of the slides, it shows the different sites where uh, magnesium, for example, um, plays a role in the formation of putting those that, that glutamine cysteine ligase, ligating the uh, uh, first two amino acids together, glutamine and cysteine. And if you don't have magnesium, you can't form glutathione. And ironically, there's studies that show that low glutathione is also, for some reason, associated with low magnesium. But you're, you're right, there are additional um, vitamins that play a role here, uh, vitamin B6, um, B5, B1, for example, as well as some of the minerals. Uh, uh, zinc is uh, used in the, form- in the regeneration of glutathione, as well as uh, vitamin B2 and B3. I th- so I think we've mentioned almost all the vitamins, and um, I mentioned zinc as helping regenerate it. And um, uh, selenium in very low doses can be used to support the uh, glutathione peroxidase enzyme that protects our membranes from oxidative damage. Um, You want to be careful with selenium. You don't want to take an excess of that um, because it can be damaging. But you need just uh, almost uh, in most places there's an adequate amount in the food so you don't have to worry about repletion. Brazil nuts can help there too. What is the association between glutathione and multiple chemical sensitivities? Well, I don't know if there's been a, a, a direct study on that, but as I mentioned, many chemicals are associated with uh, depleting glutathione, and many chemicals through the action of glutathione S-transferase uh, are matched up with glutathione for removal from the cell. Um, it, for example, uh, mercury is a, a typical uh, metal that's... Uh, removed by glutathione. And what happens with mercury is it's bound to glutathione and there's a pump in the cell that removes the oxidized form of glutathione. And the combination with mercury and glutathione looks like this oxidized glutathione. So it gets pumped out of the cell and then into the um, uh, bloodstream where it's carried to the liver. 
and then it's excreted out through the liver into the bile and in, out through the uh, gastrointestinal tract. So as long as you have a good functioning gastrointestinal tract, your your glutathione is constantly removing these toxins, and um, uh, it it points out again uh, we're seeing more and more research about the importance of normal bowel function in maintaining health, and uh, this is one example of why. Um, but our our bowel our bile um, needs glutathione to function properly, and so and 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 this works on its own. The majority of the time, um, when it's deficient, um, we have a study that shows that people with HIV, for example, who are not able to make adequate glutathione, so they have low glutathione. Uh, we've shown that we can replete glutathione in their cells um, and in the plasma of these individuals. Um, we've yet to have a study that shows the uh, impact on their overall sense of well-being, but we certainly have these studies showing that we improve their defense against infection. What they've done is take these cells from people with low glutathione and introduce into the cell an infectious material. In this case, the uh, researcher was using um, uh, his area of expertise is with tuberculosis, so we introduced, which is a classic intracellular infection. And so he was able to introduce this uh, bacteria and show that with the people with low glutathione, the bacteria could, would grow uh, rampantly, where after taking uh, the Redisorb, uh, using the liposomal glutathione um, orally, these people's cells um, can defend against this uh, infection um, quite, uh, quite well, and there's very little growth. The key here is they've actually taken the cells from the person. They're not giving the person the infection. I want to be clear on that. Um, but it demonstrates the ability of uh, glutathione to help protect cells against uh, intracellular infection. Now, can glutathione be used as a predictor of progression after a heart attack? That's a great. Uh, that's a great question. Um, there's recently been um, some work done at a major university that shows um, that the amount of reduced glutathione in the plasma that's in the circulating blood. Um, in, in this case, for plasma, they've taken the cells out of it. Um, um, but the amount of reduced glutathione in the plasma is a biomarker. They look at it as a biomarker for the progression of uh, cardiovascular disease. And when this, uh, when the reduced glutathione is low, you get more of a progression and more uh, serious side effects from the progression of atherosclerosis. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's it's very very dramatic uh, information. How does it affect cancer? Um, cancer um, cancer is a complicated topic with glutathione. Uh, cancer cells actually manufacture their own glutathione and use glutathione because they're so active. They're producing more free radicals. Their mitochondria uh, they're so active in replication of cells. Their mitochondria are working overtime and they make more. Uh, free radicals. Um, so they make their own glutathione, and that's an important piece in the puzzle for creating um, resistance to chemotherapy and radiation. At the same time, the host of the person with cancer, the person, their blood has been demonstrated in several large studies to be deficient in glutathione. So we're left with a conundrum here. Uh, we're back to our chicken and egg question. What came first, the oxidation stress 
that allowed damage to the DNA, that allowed cells to transform to become cancer um, acting cells, um, uh, or uh, does does cancer actually uh, do provide some materials that deplete glutathione? And one research group has shown that it can't these cells can produce peroxide that affect the uh, uh, cells in the immediate uh, environment of the tumor. They call these tumor uh, environment cells. And um, so the excess oxidation causes changes in those cells that uh, changes the energy production and, and actually aids the cancer. Um, it, it, that gets complicated, but the bottom line is that people with cancer, these, these studies have shown, are actually deficient in glutathione in their overall systemic um, cells uh, where the cancer cells are making their own glutathione and have an increased amount. So it sounds like glutathione uh, helping us get rid of environmental pollutants. I mean, also, uh, I believe it can help chlamydia, uh, chronic asthma and sinusitis, uh, HIV, and some cases of headaches. It's got a range of things. I did a review article um, last uh, year that shows that glutathione is actually deficient in many of the common ENT diseases um, and that uh, that there, there's a interesting uh, relationship there because um, in, the, in the ear, nose, and throat you have an increased exposure to, to air, to oxygen and you get a higher concentration of oxygen that may range up to 20% in the air where inside the cells of our body, there's a much lower concentration of oxygen at about 5%. And, uh, um, and because of this, um, it would make you think that the ear, nose, and throat area might have a higher risk of having oxidation stress. And it turns out that um, that's, that is true. Uh, in, in many of the common um, ENT diseases, um, ranging from rhinitis, nasal inflammation, um, to uh, uh, otitis media, uh, the ear infection, the common ear infection of children, um, and, and even laryngitis has been shown to have low uh, glutathione associated with it. Now, it doesn't mean, just uh, re restoring glutathione doesn't necessarily mean that you'll shut off these diseases, but there was a study done in uh, uh, Europe where giving uh, glutathione they actually gave it intranasal, but uh, with the liposomal glutathione, I've seen uh, cases where you can clear up uh, the uh, otitis media, um, for example, taking glutathione. Um, we don't have studies showing that that's a, uh, uh, an application. You know, I can't say, I can't claim that you can treat these diseases. I want to be clear on that, but it's really intriguing. Um, things such as... Uh, allergic uh, rhinitis, the um, pollen molecules, uh, a series of studies have shown that pollen molecules um, actually contain a oxidase enzyme in their cover that when it hits the uh, mucous membrane of the body, it causes oxidation stress locally. And then if you get enough of this, it'll transform uh, uh, the immune response in that area toward one in which people make antibodies, which would be ideal for making the allergy antibody IgE. Um, one of the studies that uh, was done with redisorb glutathione shows that in people uh, with low glutathione, that's, this was a group uh, with HIV, that their immune cells 
are making a pattern of cytokine response. Cytokines are um, immune hormones. And they've shown that their cytokines are taking a pattern which is associated with chronic inflammation and the production of antibodies. This is uh, called the TH2, T helper type 2 cells. And they have an increase in some of the cytokines that are associated with oxidation stress. And even one of them, believe it or not, there's one which, um, while it's part of the normal immune response, is actually associated with shutting down the production of glutathione. And by giving outside glutathione, you can um, restore that back toward a more normal level and theoretically um, restore the regeneration of glutathione. But now, in this study... Now, you mentioned ready. Well, let me just, we will get to that a little bit ahead. later because that is a very... Uh, important uh, contribution from Dr. Guilford where he makes a form of glutathione that can actually get to where it's needed. But before we go to where how we can up our glutathione, uh, glyphosate, uh, thanks to Mother Monsanto, is in all of our food, our organic food. It's been found in the Antarctic. It, um, it prevents, uh, the, uh, it blocks the making aromatic amines. It interferes with our detox system so we can't get toxins out. It affects our liver badly. Does glutathione help us get rid of this nasty glyphosate, which is in Roundup Ready for all our great GMO foods? Well, let me say that a great many um, uh, toxins, uh, chemicals, and pesticides are removed by uh, glutathione. I don't find data that shows it's removed directly, but the intriguing thing with glyphosate is this uh, PhD researcher, Stephanie Seneff, and back at MIT, has uh, conjectures that the uh, glyphosate um, actually will uh, mimic the glycine that's one of the three amino acids that are, it's present in many enzymes. And while she doesn't go into the article, it, it seems logical that if it's interfering with glycine. GMO researchers, and they say that glyphosate does not substitute for glycine that they have no evidence of that. And Stephanie was my college roommate, so I knew her well. Oh, good. I'm glad I brought that up. Yeah, I mean, but it does interfere with the sycamate pathway, which Monsanto says we don't have it, but our bacteria in a very important gut do. So that's how it interferes with most aromatic amines and uh, interferes with detox. It's very nasty, and it's everywhere. But let's look at how we can increase our glutathione stores because you just can't take a pill of glutathione because our digestive system would tear it apart. So how do we increase our glutathione stores? Well, one way is by eating cruciferous vegetables. Um, and broccoli, for example, will stimulate the production of glutathione. Um, but drinking coffee uh, will have a similar activity. And, um, uh, and exercise. Exercise is an oxidative experience, and so routine exercise becomes uh, uh, useful uh, for producing glutathione. Um, in fact, uh, they've done studies showing that people that uh, run marathons actually have excess oxidation stress. And so, if you you know in training, as you increase your um, body's ability to exercise, you're going to be increasing glutathione, and then you can take. Um, uh, cysteine, that's a form that uh, uh, will help restore glutathione. There's N-acetylcysteine. I found that these products are helpful, but they don't necessarily work as rapidly um, as the liposomal form of glutathione, which, um, uh, which is one of the reasons why I 
both formulated and continued the use of uh, liposomal glutathione is because I began to see uh, changes in a number of conditions um, and in glutathione responses uh, quite rapidly. Um, the, the liposome encapsulation keeps the glutathione in a stable state. Um, if you oxidize glutathione, is not uh, as efficient. You have to have a whole uh, series of steps to reduce that back into the active form. And so you keep the glutathione active in the liposome, and it's also readily absorbed. And um, so that gives one of the, a nutshell of the advantage of the liposomal form. Yes, because if you just take NAC, that might not be effective because metals can block some of the enzymes. Uh, the GS enzyme is blocked by metallic mercury. So taking some of the precursors and cysteine might not be enough. So the liposomal glutathione will get it to where it's supposed to go. That's true. And, and as I mentioned, these uh, there's... There's a whole construction, uh, a series of constructive uh, enzymes that are needed to work properly to be able to use cysteine or NAC that may be blocked in certain conditions that we've already talked about. And other foods that are high in sulfur can help, such as garlic, onion, uh, eggs, avocado, etc. Yes. I mean, vegetarians who are low in vitamin B12, don't they uh, have a risk of having lower glutathione stores? Well, that's a good point uh, because uh, B12 uh, is present uh, or is needed uh, to make uh, methionine um, that goes around to, to the material called homocysteine that's a normal component of our body. When it's elevated, it may be a marker of um, health problems. Um, but uh, homocysteine then is just becomes a source of cysteine inside the body. Uh, so if you, so in that whole link of events, if you don't have B12, you won't make an adequate amount of cysteine for the formation of glutathione in a normal, healthy situation. So uh, your formulation is liposomal. Can you tell us what liposomal is in your liposomal glutathione? Well, liposomes are um, just a chain of uh, fatty acids. They is very similar in construction to the uh, normal cell membrane uh, found in, in our body. And, um, and so it's um, utilized and easily absorbed um, into the system. And the, uh, so in our case, the glutathione is encapsulated in little tiny microcapsules, if you will, entirely inside the liposome. And we have a clinical study done by a researcher named Gail Zivak um, uh, back in uh, uh, 20, uh, 2011 uh, that showed that all of the glutathione in our product is contained inside these little liposomes. Um, and then the whole liposome is absorbed inside of cells. And she used astrocyte brain cells in a cell culture to demonstrate this. And uh, in that cell culture, um, the liposomal glutathione went into cells 100 times more efficiently than NAC, excuse me, than uh, plain glutathione. Um, that reminds me to mention that in regard to NAC, um, we have a, another uh, cell culture study that shows they gave both NAC and liposomal glutathione to cells that were depleted of glutathione. And the liposomal glutathione was able to restore glutathione a thousand times more efficiently than NAC. And that may, be, that may explain why I began seeing uh, better results with the liposome form than with NAC. 
Um, it's not to say NAC doesn't work at all. It's just it looks like the glut liposomal glutathione works uh, much more efficiently. And in that same study, they showed that the uh, cells not only were repleted in glutathione, but their ability to defend against an intracellular infection uh, was enhanced with that same efficiency. In other words, it took micro amounts of glutathione, micro, what they call micromolar, as opposed to millimolar, which is a thousand times higher amount of NAC to achieve uh, protection in these cells. Really fascinating um, information. And that's... Uh, those studies are found on on uh, the list of uh, references uh, that is found at drgilford.com or at readysorb.com. So the liposomal glutathione won't get to where it's supposed to go. So it's not subject to the ravages of the stomach acids or and it bypasses the liver and it gets right to where it belongs? It looks like it's absorbed right through this, uh, the cell walls. Uh, Fatty acids, uh, similar to the liposome we use, are absorbed right through the cell wall of the, of the upper stomach. So this starts to be absorbed as you as you drink it. Uh, this Redisorb is designed as a drink, which can be uh, taken with juice or water. And um, that appears that the material is absorbed right through the cell wall of the lining of the uh, membranes, uh, uh, in the upper stomach area, for example, before it has to pass through the digestive tract. Correct. And this, this allows it then to bypass the liver on first pass. That's not a pro- the liver's not a problem there, except the liver, if you're ill or have uh, problems, the liver's going to use the glutathione for other functions. And uh, so this allows the glutathione to be absorbed and go through the lymphatics and then get to the venous system and then off to all these different organs, uh, such as the lung. Uh, for uh, support of glutathione. Uh, there's studies that show that the uh, defensive cells inside the lung called macrophages, um, macrophage is big eater that um, a lot of, it used to be that the uh, scientists thought the lung was a, pr- a privileged site that it wasn't uh, inflamed all the time. They couldn't understand how people could breathe um, particulate matter and not get inflammation. It turns out that the macrophages uh, work well in the lung and they pick these particles up and then carry them off um, where they're reconstruct where they're lost and um, are, are removed from from the lining of the um, of the lung the lung is got uh, these little tiny sacs called alveoli and the macrophage actually roams around on the surface of the alveoli will pick up uh, particulate matter and um, the um, uh, and remove them. And these macrophages are dependent on glutathione uh, for their function. When you have low glutathione, macrophages can neither phagocytize, meaning eat well, nor kill well. And that's been demonstrated in uh, studies in children uh, with chronic asthma, for example. They took their uh, at bronchoscopy, they looked at their cells. And we've not had clinical studies uh, using our product in these areas, but they've looked at the level of glutathione um, in these uh, cells. And so macrophage function is uh, very dependent on the amount of glutathione. And that's what we've looked at in these uh, people with uh, uh, HIV, but also we've done this in type 2 diabetes. Uh, the research group I work with at Western University uh, in Southern California uh, has taken uh, cells from people with 
type 2 diabetes, and they've shown that in um, that condition, the glutathione is not being formed properly. And number two, their cells uh, don't form uh, what's called complement, uh, a form of complement that is needed to facilitate uh, phagocytosis, that is, ingestion of uh, bacteria by their uh, macrophages. So it's, it's, and they can restore that in vitro, meaning in the cell culture, by adding uh, liposomal glutathione to the cell culture to support those cells. It's really fascinating work that's uh, uh, ongoing. Okay, and so for your liposomal glutathione, what dose would you recommend And on an empty stomach, full stomach, what, and how often, what would you recommend for people to take? Well, we found empirically in the clinic that one teaspoon twice a day taken on an empty stomach seemed to work the best. Um, uh, it seems that if you take it with foods, uh, the, it, uh, the liposome material may glom onto the food and, and not get absorbed the same way and become digested as part of the food. But if you take it on an empty stomach, it seems to work uh, more efficiently. And in the clinical studies I just mentioned, um, they've used one and a half teaspoons twice a day in order to help ensure that they got an adequate amount of glutathione. But one teaspoon twice a day uh, has been very uh, functional. And we're looking at a study, um, doing a clinical study um, in older people with uh, serious illness, and we may use two teaspoons twice a day in that setting in order to support them. But we'll have more information on that uh, um, as that study gets uh, gets done. I hate to talk about studies before they're done. Now, doesn't it help ozone treatments if you take glutathione beforehand? Um, some people give uh, glutathione uh, with ozone. I don't have a, a lot uh, right off the top of my head. I don't have uh, uh, that data, um, but I know it's been they've been used um, together. Yes. Now, toxins are a very serious problem and contributing, I think, to our major disease load. Whether these toxins be from glyphosate, crappy diet, poor soil, electromagnetic fields. So getting rid of toxins is huge. Do you have any other suggestions on how we could rid ourselves of toxins? Well, there's a fellow in Canada uh, named Stephen Genuis who um, has looked at the use of um, infrared sauna and sweat. They looked at the sweat uh, generated from the infrared sauna will cause uh, heating uh, of the person but doesn't heat the, in the air that they're breathing so they can stay in there. I'd caution people that uh, have serious illnesses, though, if they try sauna to go very slowly. But they've shown an increase in toxins uh, and metals, for example, in, in the sweat itself. So well, that's a that's sweat a, a sauna. Uh, I misunderstood you. Uh, I've got a tiny sauna, and it's so tiny I don't sweat. Is that an issue? Uh, all I can tell you is that Dr. Genuine's study showed the increase in these materials uh, in the sweat. Now, also, there are new binding agents such as bentonite clay to help get toxins out. Oh, bent, bentonite clay, yeah. Bentonite clay uh, probably has been around uh, for a while, as well as charcoal. Um, and then there's some uh, medications that uh, are, can be used as binding agents. Um, but the, um, they're, they're very good for binding um, both metals and mycotoxins. A lot of physicians who do work with mold toxins use these uh, binding agents, cholestyramine, for example. Now, we've got two minutes left, so would you like to summarize your main points? 
and let people know how to get a hold of you. I mean, obviously, uh, readyzorb.com and drgilford.com are two ways to find your work. But any final words to our audience? Well, this has been an enjoyable um, opportunity to talk about uh, my favorite topic, glutathione. Um, uh, I'd like people to, to think of glutathione. They can perhaps talk about it with their physician. If they have uh, one of these conditions, such as autoimmune disease or type 2 um, diabetes, um, that can be a major uh, support for uh, defense against infection and inflammation. So there's a number of conditions that may uh, be supported. And we didn't talk about asthma. I have anecdotal information on asthma, but we don't have a clinical study, and I'd like to uh, stick more with the clinical studies since we have them available. Um, But there's a wide range of problems to consider, and this may be a support. Um, uh, I can be reached through readyzorb.com. That's R-E-A-D-I, read Izorb. Readyzorb, like uh, readily absorbed, Um, or uh, drgilford.com, that's G-U-I-L-F-O-R-D.com. Well, we're coming to a close now, so I want to thank Dr. Guilford for your wisdom on glutathione, which sounds like it can help all of us in our uh, fight against uh, toxins, uh, oxidative stress, inflammation. So I urge our audience to go out and do your own research, read Dr. Guilford's work, um, do your own research. You can help yourselves and help others. And above all, be well. We got the power to change the world. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.